So Jason Stolp is going to be preaching today, and he's going to be in um, Proverbs chapter 3. And here at Flourishing Grace, um, we believe that this is the Word of God, that this is the inspired Word of God, this is a gift. Um, And as we've been walking through this uh, series on kingdom wisdom and the Proverbs, really what we were doing is saying, God, we surrender all to you and to your instruction and how you say life should work in your kingdom. So because of that and out of reverence for God's word, would you please stand with me as I read um, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. And if you're in the hardback Bible in front of you, it's on page 495. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. Thank you, Benger. Um, as he said, um, my name is Jason Stolp. I've been a lead shepherd here at Flourishing Grace for about the last six, seven years. Um, it's been uh, great to be behind the scenes. This is my first time preaching, and so um, I'm a little nervous on that. I probably won't be as nervous as Josh is when he comes down the mountain and he looks at the streaming video of this. You know, he probably... <laughs> get some anxiety when he sees, him, sees what I say. Um, we are continuing in Proverbs. Uh, the, the big theme that we're hitting in Proverbs, Proverbs is wisdom to live this life fully by pursuing a relationship with God. Let us pray. Lord, give us the wisdom to understand your word. Help me to speak truth. Help us to open our hearts and minds. Amen. All right, we're going to pull the verse back up. So Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. We're going to start right in on honor, what it means to honor. Honor means to treat someone with admiration and respect, to put them above yourself. All right, now we got first fruits. First fruits refers to the first and best of the harvest. This phrase is also used in the Bible regarding Israel, followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, even Jesus himself, um, when it says the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep in Christ. This verse points out wealth and what we produce, so the sermon today, we're really going to talk about money. Let's face it, we live in a materialistic society. Money is always in our minds. Jesus talked about heaven and hell. He talked about money more than heaven and hell combined. The reality is 11 of his 39 parables were focused on finances. Let's go to verse 10. Proverbs 10 says, Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. I look at this verse and say, that's what I want. I want full barns. I want full vats. I want all I can eat and all I can drink, but how do I get that? I want to focus on two things this morning, being intentional and sacrificial. First, we're going to break down intentional. What does it mean to be intentional? What what that means is done on purpose or deliberate. An intentional person does things with a clear purpose and focus. I want to make two points on this. Number one, God is intentional with us, and God wants us 
to be intentional with him. The first point, God is intentional with us. He gives us the crop. He controls the weather. He brings the increase. All good gifts come from God. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 17, uh, the first part of that verse says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. God makes plans. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Second point, God wants us to be intentional with him. He wants us to identify the gifts that he's given us. He wants us to prioritize what we're going to give him. He wants us to trust him. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. All right, we're going to go from intentional now to sacrificial. What does sacrificial mean? It means giving up your time, your possessions, your energy. A self-sacrificing person gives up what they want so that other people can have what they want. First point, it's not easy to give your best and first fruits. When the farmer brings in the first load of the harvest, he doesn't know exactly what that field's going to make. He can make an estimation, but he doesn't know that firm amount. How much money are you going to make next year? It's the same way. You might have an idea, but you don't exactly know. It is more sacrificial to give before you know the whole amount. When prioritizing for God, you're fighting selfishness. Point number two, selfishness is a counter to honoring God. Sacrifice is an antidote to selfishness. Luke, in, uh, in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, and this is Jesus uh, talking, he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Point number three, God, sacrifice, God sacrifices for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, through, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Now, i got to bring up the major sacrifice, the biggest sacrifice ever that God did for us, and that was sending his son to die for our sins. And this is all encapsulated in, in, uh, in John chapter 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Why be intentional and sacrificial? It's not for riches, it's for a relationship. God is intentional and sacrificial with me. He wants me to choose to be intentional and sacrificial with him. Does he need my first fruits? God does not need my money. He really wants me. All right, I'm going to give you a relationship example. Think of one of your most important relationships. For me, it's my relationship with my wife. Is that relationship intentional and sacrificial? Let's start with intentional. When I was dating, I feared when my, when, when my girlfriend's dad would say, 
what are your intentions? It's an intentional relationship. When you're married, it's an intentional relationship. You live together. My wife changed her last name. Rings are involved. All right? Let's go from intentional to sacrificial. When I was dating or anyone dating, you're willing to put the other person above yourself all the time. When you're married, you literally vow to stay with them no matter what. It is a sacrificial relationship. What do I get out of their relationship? Deep intimacy, kids, life multiplied. It's getting close to full barns and full vats. Should you get married to give and get? A, shelf, a, shelf, excuse me, a selfish marriage won't last. The sign of a bad relationship is where you're trying to get something out of it. The sign of a good relationship is where you are all for them and not selfishly motivated. If you are intentional and sacrificial in a relationship, congratulations, you're really in a love-driven relationship. I enjoy receiving gifts from my wife. Is it the gifts that I truly desire, or is it the relationship that we have with each other? God's goal is to have a relationship with us. He is offering himself. He is offering something that is equivalent to overflowing riches. All right, let's get practical. One of the most common questions asked is, how much should I give? My answer is enough to be sacrificial. God doesn't need money. Give enough that you can feel it. Psychologists have this thing called Weber's Law, and it's, it's the, uh, determining the threshold where people can notice a change. Um, originally, they did this with mass. They've done it with brightness, sound, other uh, mo uh, sensory modalities. Uh, but the reality is what they found is typically the threshold is about 10%. I'm going to give you an example. If I were to hold a jug of milk, a gallon of milk in one hand and a gallon of milk in the other, I can't tell the difference between the two unless one weighs more than 10% different from the other. Now, what's also interesting about uh, Weber's Law is they use it with marketing. The idea is, where's that threshold that I can increase prices that my customers won't notice it? We live in a world where we have uh, billion-dollar credit card companies that will do a 3% fee, and the goal there is that your finances don't notice the impact. The point being, 10% or more is noticeable. It can be felt. Now, when it comes to tithing, the Old Testament uses the word, and it literally means tenth or 10%. And the first occurrence that you see tithing show up is when Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. Melchizedek was this priest king of Salem, which actually translates priest king of peace. He's a foreshadower of who Jesus is. Abraham tithed to him long before the law. Many centuries later, when the, uh, the Israelites came out of Egypt, Moses wrote down the first five books or the law of the Old Testament. And you find tithing all through Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and even Chronicles. Um, now, the reality is tithing is easy. It's 10%. It's easy to do the math. 
Um, the reality in the Old Testament, it was actually more than that as well. Every three years, depending on where you lived and, and you were an Israelite, you actually tithed on a tithe. So you gave 10%, and then you did another tithe on the 90%, so you actually gave away 19%. They also had thanks offerings beyond their regular tithes. Um, now, tithing was practiced in the New Testament. However, there's no metric that's ever been given from uh, the followers of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, it says this, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God wants a relationship rather than rules. My recommendation is make it intentional, make it sacrificial. Now remember the goal is a relationship with God. So we want to avoid stepping over him and making the assumption, I gave, therefore I get. When we focus on the reward, we fall into the trap of selfishness. The reality is crops get hailed, Thieves can take your valuables. Marriages end when a spouse dies of cancer. God allows these to happen because we live in a temporary world of temporary things. What's truly eternal is a relationship with him. All right, now I'm going to talk about three types or three categories that typically we all fall into when it comes to giving. This is the routine givers. This is the occasional givers. And this is the stalled givers. First of all, the routine givers. Those folks don't really need the sermon. They already have Jesus preeminent in their life. They already are intentional and sacrificial. They already experience the benefits. My encouragement to them is keep doing what you're doing. If it stops being intentional or sacrificial, pray about it. Make an adjustment. The reality is that group consists of only 5% of regular church attenders today. So now we're going to go to the second category. This is the occasional givers. Um, typically inconsistent, it's hard to find it cheerful, and it's probably not prioritized in the family budget. My recommendation is examine how you can be more intentional. I want you to pray about it. And keep in mind, God is not only honored in your giving, he's also honored in your asking him how he wants you to give. So what do I do? As a lead shepherd, I'm not perfect, but I and the other lead shepherds are here to serve. If you have questions or maybe you don't want to ask the pastor or someone on staff, you can always give us a try. In that openness, I'm going to share with you what I've been doing the past few years Hopefully, it'll be a benefit to you. So the way I do my giving is I've got the spreadsheet at home on my home computer. I know everything going out. The very first column of things going out is what am I going to give to the church? I sit down with my wife. We know what our salaries are for the next year, and we come up a goal that what we want to give. I actually then spread that over 10 months. I don't do 12. I do 10. I do this on purpose. Why? because I want giving to God to be greater than giving to the power company or rent or your mortgage or anything else. I want to show that preeminence that that is what God's given me and I'm going to give back to him. Why do I give to Flourishing Grace? Because Flourishing Grace, its intention is to help people follow Jesus. 
That's the goal. Now, I got two other months in there. The reality on the 11th month, what I do, things that are not necessarily focused on the church. Uh, when my wife and I were in college, we met, uh, uh, we had a bunch of friends, and three of them went off to become missionaries. And they've been doing that for over the last 20 years. And they got us to pledge to help them. And the Lord's blessed us in a way that we're able to help those missionaries. And so that's the routine thing uh, that I do for them. The last month of the year is December. And the reality is, I know I've got all my obligations of what I want to give, you know, um, to God. And so the, the reality is what might come in the door or charitable giving, there might be something there in December, but the reality, it's not in all the stress of everything else. I would put God first. Now, I actually do a small budget during the year. And what I focus on is my neighbor's. And the reality is, I would have a kid come to the door. When I first moved to Utah, they'd come to the door, and they're like, hey, we'd like you to donate to this cause. We're doing this at school, the band's going to go play here, the football team, whatever it might be. And the reality is they could read on my face that I was not interested of giving them anything. I had a change of heart. I now budget a little small sum so when that kid comes to the door and he's got a Krispy Kreme certificate that I can buy one, get one free, that I'm excited to get that from him. I'm excited to hand him $10. The first time I did this, my wife was pulling in the drive and she saw the neighbor kid jump down the porch and go skipping down the street to his house. The reality was, I guess I was an easy sale, but the reality is I want to be someone in my neighborhood that is generous, and I'm generous because what God gave me. All right, now we're to the third category. Um, this is where we, uh, we say it's called stalled givers. The folks in this category um, may not be aware of honoring God financially, or they feel crushed by debt, or the home budget is just tapped out, most Americans today have less than $1,000 in savings. If you are not at peace with your financial situation, my recommendation is to participate in Financial Peace University. Starting in two weeks, Flourishing Grace is hosting an FPU here. This is a class that helps you structure your finances. Benjamin's going to come up at the end of the sermon um, and basically give us all of these details. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Being intentional and sacrificial with God, what God has given helps us break from the world for true riches. 300 years ago, uh, the old Puritan Bible commentator, Matthew Henry, said this about Proverbs 3, um, verses 9 through 10. He said, God will bless you with an increase of which is for use, not for show, for giving away, not for hoarding. Those who do good with what they have shall have more, to do more good with. Let's pray. Lord, everything is yours. Help us to be intentional and sacrificial to pursue a relationship with you. May all the glory be yours. 
Amen.